0: All right, let's go ahead and open with prayer, and then we'll look at uh, today's message. Lord, we just thank you for the day. We thank you for your word, and that, that you love us. Lord, that it takes a work to change us because of you don't break us, and that you love us so much. Lord, we ask that you touch us as we read the word and, and, and examine your word, and we just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to cover verses 19 through 23, but we're going to reread the whole long sentence to get the context back there again. So we're going to start reading at verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, to give him the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Hey, that was one long sentence. Uh, so we talked, we talked last week about uh, Paul's giving great uh, thanks because of their love, and and for the, ask them to give them wisdom and revelation and his, the knowledge of God, opening our eyes so that they would be enlightened, that we would make, know the hope of our calling and the riches of our glory, of our inheritance. And that's all of what we covered last week. So we're going to look at verse 19 to start with. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us, word who believe, according to the working of His mighty power? Do you realize the great power God showed? toward us you know, he sent Jesus his son to live a perfect life to die for our sins now that is a great act of love but then after he died and took upon us our, took upon our sins Jesus resu- Jesus was resurrected he was resurrected victory over death the first fruit of the new salvation and new man mighty power but in doing so he did many things at that time he didn't just forgive us at the garden of eden when adam and eve sinned they were the rulers of this country of this world I don't want to say country of this world they had the title deed of the world they were the dominion for all practical purposes they were the god of this world god was god but they were the one in charge what they said was, was, a, was, a, was paramount. They were, they were the ruler. Adam named all the animals. <laughs> Probably named all the plants, too, for that matter. <laughs> but he had the title deed. And when they sinned, the title deed of this world went to Satan. This world took on pain, suffering, death. Disease entered this world. It wasn't just sin. It just wasn't spiritual death. All the world paid for Adam and Eve's sin and is still paying for that sin. Earthquakes, tornadoes, storms, hurricanes, you know, all the stuff that destroy and, and, and harm this world. Paul said it: that the war, earth groans for the return. The earth itself is groaning for it. You know, and why don't you just talk, bring us to this whole enlightenment of what really happened at the fall. The fall just wasn't man. You know, what part of the curse was that the f- ground was gonna produce thorns and thistles, and boy, don't us and the devils are know that real well. Thorns and thistles, <laughs> and, and every other thing that stings and sticks in your foot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the ground was cursed because of the fall. We were cursed. We got diseases. All the diseases that happened on this, you know, from the from the simple ones like colds and sore throats to cancers and tumors and and all of the stuff that we face. All started because of one sin and fall. Jesus took upon his body all of that pain, all of that suffering, everything, all of the sin, all of the diseases were placed on him. What a great and mighty work God did the scope of that work you know how often do we just think oh well, he just died for our sins and we're okay well that's a big enough penalty in and of itself but it's so much more that he took on him Isaiah said that all of our diseases were laid upon him all of our trials and all of our all of our sin was put upon him he took it all and he, you know and I love how Paul says it the exceeding great work that was done. And if that wasn't enough of a great and exceeding work, he saves us. And oh, don't you realize what he does what he did when he saved us? No. We did this class on the 51 things that happened to you at the moment of salvation. 51 things. I just wanted to highlight, I put down here five things to highlight. According to Ephesians 1:7. Which says, to whom we have redemption in his blood and forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. We are totally, completely forgiven of our sins. He didn't forgive you of your sins up to the point of the time that you accepted him and then said, from now on, you've got to do good. He didn't say, from now on, you've got to live up to the salvation I gave you. We are totally forgiven of sin. I want that to sink in. Total. I keep talking to so many people that can't forgive themselves because they don't understand that they are forgiven. Who can't forgive others because they don't realize that they're forgiven. God has forgiven us. That should have an impact on the way we see ourselves and the way we act and how we see others and, and treat them. If I'm forgiven, every one of you who have Jesus in your heart are forgiven. I don't make, I, God does not make me pay for my forgiveness. He doesn't say, well, now when you do 50 good things, I can, I, you can have fellowship with me. How many of us treat others that, that need our forgiveness and say, well, when they're good enough, I will... I will talk to them again. I will love them again. When, they, when they've proven that they've changed. I am so glad that God doesn't make me prove that I've changed. Because I can tell you, especially in my earlier days, it took me a long time to learn things. I'm still pretty slow, but in my early days I was really long time learning things. You know, I've gotten much faster. <laughs> but I am so glad that God didn't say, Oh, you failed, now you got now you gotta go another. Another, you start from the beginning until you prove that you're good. He has forgiven us. Completely forgiven us. I just, in Romans 8, chapter 1, or 8, verse 1. I should have marked these so I get there faster. Romans 8, 1. You all know this one as soon as I read it. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. No condemnation. I love that. That doesn't mean God's not going to convict us. Conviction is different than condemnation. Conviction is what drives us to God and say, "God, I am sorry for what I did. I, I really want to apologize. I you know, help me not do it." Condemnation destroys us. You, know, you want to you understand condemnation that's when when you just feel like you are totally worthless and you can't come before God because you are condemned because you're not living in your forgiveness and Satan loves to condemn that little little message I have on the the PowerPoint Satan knows your name and calls you by your sin he wants to condemn you God knows your sin and calls you by your name that's a powerful thing God knows who and what I am But in heaven, he has said that I've forgiven you. And he wants to have fellowship with us. I hope that excites you. It does me. He wants to spend time with us. He wants us to come into his presence. Because he's forgiven us. He's forgiven us. He does not condemn us. condemnation is when is when somebody comes to church and you watch them slide out the back door because they've done something they can't forgive themselves and they leave the church for a period of time because they've fallen under condemnation instead of coming back where God will love them and God's people will love them now does is the church perfect in loving them as they should no not always but there should be enough people in the church that loves them anyway that make them welcome and realize that they're not condemned how many times you've ever heard somebody well I was just so bad I can't go back to church I can't show my face back up to church or or they might even make a joke out if I walk in the church the, the walls are gonna fall down you know uh, God is forgiven he doesn't condemn again if that happens for us we should be doing the same for others each one of these things that happened to us we should be showing to others are we going to be as perfect as God in it absolutely not we're, we're going to have trouble with not condemning people especially if they hurt us in the process but we need to show that love we need to show that love the next point I want to bring out is Romans 814 for as many as are led by the Spirit of God they are the sons of God we talked a little bit about this last week We're, we're his children we're his children and God is the perfect father Okay. We don't want to look at our you know, our own fathers if they were not good. You know, some, some people had good fathers that loved them and, and always accepted them. Others had fathers that can you know, you know, hurt them. And Satan loves to destroy the picture of the father, you know, because if he can do that he he destroys the picture of him as father. And you know, this is a, this is a strategy that he's going through. One of the reasons I can't stand sit- most sitcoms about a family is because the father is almost always a total buffoon, an idiot. And we're feeding our kids with this idea that fathers are idiots, and then wonder why they don't have respect for fathers and don't want a father in God. We see mothers looking like, like fools now. It used to be the mother was the smart one, in the, and now in the newest ones, father and mother are dumb, and the kids are the smart ones. And you know, the government plays into this. I mean, Obama is always been giving messages when he's around good kids, I'm going to tell you this, and go tell your parents." Basically, he doesn't say it, but he's saying, "Your parents are so stupid, they don't know this. Go tell them." And it irritates me, because that's what the message is in school, and in, in, in they're bombarded in school. Your parents don't know these things. Just you know, we're teaching you, don't worry about telling your parents because you know, they're too dumb to know this is what they're saying without saying it. And they're destroying family. Mm-hmm. Satan's trying hard to destroy family. He's trying hard to destroy marriages because the marriage is the picture of Jesus and his bride, the church. And if he can destroy the picture of a marriage, he can destroy the the beautiful picture of Jesus and the relationship he has with the church. And so Satan works hard to destroy the pictures that God builds up. And yet God's the one that'll keep it. We as the church are the one that needs to bring out how to live. How to, be, how to live right. How many times have you made, have been faced with a decision, well, this is what the world tells me to do and this is what God tells me to do. We see it all the time, people trying to cheat the government. Well, I can get away with it if I just don't declare this or do this or, or hide this money someplace. And God, Jesus told them, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. The government is the government, whether we like them or not. And I can guarantee you I'm one of the, one the chief ones that don't like the government. I don't like how they spend my money, I don't like where they spend my most of my money. They don't spend it in the right places, but you know what? I have to pay an awful lot in taxes, even with as little as I make. There's a big chunk of it that goes to the government. We've honored them because God has put the government in place. Right, wrong, or indifferent, they're they're in place. And you want to think you go, well, well, Paul, when he wrote that, you know, didn't have to face what we did. No, he faced the Roman government. They, they built all these soldiers that, that enforced their will on them and, and made them walk, you know, carry their stuff and, and took them away and had no, no rules for, uh, for uh, marriage. You know, matter of fact, if you were married to just one person and never done anything else, you were the oddball. You know, didn't make hospitals, didn't care if you were poor. And he said, honor that government. Pray for them. Worse yet, he's talking about Nero, who's killing Christian. And he says, pray for Nero. <laughs> you know, and we have trouble praying, you know, praying and honoring a government that isn't quite that bad <laughs> yet. So, but we want to look at this. No we're, we're adopted children. Romans 10, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. We're free. From the curse of the law and we're not saying by that that the law was bad the law is good <laughs> because the law is who God is when God gave his rules he didn't just arbitrarily pick a bunch of rules out of the air and say here's your rules to live by he gave rules that represented who he is don't take his name in vain why because he is so holy and righteous don't murder because life is precious he gave it to us don't steal because he gives us the stuff that we're we're to to keep every single rule that he had represents God it wasn't just arbitrary saying I think I'll just say you know is lying good or bad flipping a coin and saying "Well, you know what would happen if we flipped a coin and it came up lying was good could you imagine living in a world like that Mm -mm. you know uh, it came out of who he is Jesus fulfilled the law doesn't mean that he threw it away and says don't don't worry about it but he said the law is not going to get us to heaven you can you could obey all the rules in the Bible and miss one of them and end up in hell that's what he told the rich young ruler he goes how do I get to heaven he says you know the rules you know the law keep it and he answered well I've kept them. what an arrogant kid in the first place <laughs> you now I've kept all the law you know, I haven't I haven't violated any of it well I'm and just in that statement and we know that he lied but Jesus didn't challenge him on that one you remember what Jesus told him he says go and sell all that you have and give to the poor mm-hmm. and he walked away in sorrow because he had much was Jesus condemning his wealth no he wasn't condemning the wealth he was condemning the fact that he trusted in his wealth and not God because he said, go and give. Give it all away. Trust God. <laughs> and he walked away sorrowful. He had a God in front of God. He, he had missed one of the very first rules, not, not even getting down to the other ones that we know that, he, you know that he didn't keep. But God has freed us from the law and said, you are forgiven. The law isn't what you're going to have to live by. I appreciate his grace. I appreciate his mercy and as I've said before the fact that we're freed from the law doesn't mean I'm going to run out to run out of here and start lying to everybody I can lie to and steal from everybody and kill everybody that is not what's going to happen when you're given the grace to not be under the law because you've got God in your in your heart matter of fact it becomes harder to break the laws if God's in your heart because his little voice is saying uh, what do you think you're doing Uh, you you may not be bound with this but it's still not right (laughs) so we're freed from it but not completely rejecting it but we're not bound by it have you ever been around somebody who's so bound up by rules I've seen Christians that are so (laughs) bound up by rules they have no joy in their life they have no no peace they're so worried about violating a rule and getting God to reject them because they're bound up on their rules and usually they're not even rules in the Bible. You know, I remember a day when there was a statement, you know, no Christian can go to a movie, you can't play cards, you can't, you know, women don't you dare wear pants, you know, because that's terrible. Men, you know, don't have long hair and when you go to church, wear your wear your three-piece suit. Or and if you don't do these things, you're going to hell. Now, and we kind of laugh about that now where we're at, but, you know, there were these rules. And you know in most churches there are still rules follow these rules they're un- unwritten anywhere but it's a, if you violate these rules you're gonna be looked at like what's wrong with this person you know how, how can this person be doing this God does not bind us up by these but we're bound up even harder aren't we in one sense Jesus said that even though we you know he says you've heard it say that you do love your enemy and hate your uh, love your friend you know do good to those and love your uh, and love your neighbors. but he told us that it is to be even i'm totally confused so that's okay <laughs> tongue-tied too you're human <laughs> am i yeah. Shocks. i thought i wasn't <laughs> but guy but jesus told them that if you even hate your brother that it's equivalent to sin mm-hmm. you know, jesus really raised the spar didn't he now it doesn't mean it's the same thing. I mean, it does. You know, you don't want to go out there. Well, I hate them, so I might as well go kill them and make it make it happen. No, don't go that way. There's a big difference in the consequence between the two. But God says to think it, to think that hateful thought in His mind is the same thing as to have committed murder. He says to lust after somebody is to have committed dem- adultery in your heart these are pretty serious places so God didn't we're not bound by the law but he raised the standard of the law and said you're going to keep these things the last one I want to bring out is Romans 5 1 of this first point therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ justified we are Justified. and I don't know if you really understand the full meaning of that word but from a legal decree in heaven because of what Jesus did for us God declares us perfect in heaven in the courts of heaven God has said we are perfect if you have Christ in your heart you are perfect that's kind of pretty good information isn't it Satan comes along and tells us about how bad we are how awful we are and you know what he's absolutely right most every one of us are bad awful people (laughs) if we really saw ourselves the way God does but God has said you're perfect all of this done by the exceedingly great work of power God has done for us this is in the 51 things if you want a copy of the 51 things let me know and I'll give you a copy of the 51 things that happen this is just five of them. Powerful things that have happened to us because of what God did to Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection. Very powerful. Verse 20, back in Ephesians. Which he wrought in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. The proof of what he did was raising Jesus from the dead. What power? None of us can raise anybody from the dead. God can. And if God told you to pray for somebody who's dead, go ahead and pray for them and watch them get resurrected. I've I've heard of it happen. I haven't seen that happen. I've seen lots of healings. I've even prayed for lots of people who've gotten healed. I haven't prayed for anybody who's dead and watched them re- resurrect yet. But so. Uh, but I'm sure God can do it he did it in the past he still can do it I've heard testimonies from missionaries that have had this happen to them God raised Jesus from the dead and this was the proof that he was of the power Satan could not hold Jesus he wanted Jesus he wanted to keep him in the grave his whole goal was to keep him in the grave I've I've killed God can you imagine the party Satan was having for three days I killed God I won (laughs) he's dead and then he resurrected <laughs> and with him came the loss of the title deed to this world and the power of the resurrection we just think about that the power of the resurrection when he was raised from the dead in first, Quran, uh, first Chronicles first Corinthians 15 first Corinthians 15 starting at verse 19 if in this life only we have hope in Christ we are of all men most miserable but now in Christ but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruit of them that slept for since by man came death by man came also the resurrection of death for as in Adam all died even so in Christ all be made alive think about this how miserable it would be if all we had to do was hope in Jesus in this life now I'm not sure I fully agree with Paul because I have led a very good life and if this was all that would still be okay with me but I understand what he's saying if this is all there is then we're wasting our time but Jesus was the first fruit of resurrection that makes it if you know your uh, Jewish feast One of the feasts that he fulfilled was the Feast of First Fruits. He died on Passover. He was buried under unleavened bread, and he rose again on First Fruits. Three Jewish festivals fulfilled by the death of Jesus. The birth of the church was on Pentecost. And we always think about Pentecost as being the day the Holy Spirit fell down upon the church. But it was actually a feast of fruits, (laughs) of a blessing. God gave a great blessing on, on Pentecost he gave, he started the church so we have this Jesus the first fruit the proof that if God will raise him and we are in Christ and we are his children we will be resurrected we will have everlasting life and think about this everlasting life and I've said this before does not start the day you die and go to heaven everlasting life starts the day you accept Jesus Christ into your heart and say I accept the gift that you gave of dying for my sins and ask you to come in and he comes in and you are made alive you have everlasting life from that point everlasting (laughs) I love the idea that God keeps telling us everlasting life you can't lose everlasting life that you won't you can't and it won't happen you could maybe not have it in the first place and think you have had it can't tell you in 44 years how many people I've seen in their 60s 70s come to come to church and all of a sudden realize they've never known God never known him they know a lot about him they've been very faithful to church maybe but they have never known him and known his power my challenge is for you look at your own life are you growing in Christ if you are thank God praise God you're growing and you're in him if you're not seriously, look at your life and say do I know Him? because I can't tell you whether you do I just know that I know him there's certain people I look at and I, I look at the way they live and the way this whole spirit shines out of them I'm going I am pretty sure they know God but even in that person I can't absolutely be sure because it's between them and God but when you know that you know Nothing's going to tell you differently. That doesn't mean you're not going to go through those times and saying, well, gee, have been, have things have really been going bad for me. I, you know, do, do I know him? That's when you put back your landmark and say, yes, I knew him. I know him. I know that I know. And God says, he told the, the children of Israel as they were wandering the desert, put up the landmarks. Put up these pillars. And when your children ask, what is this pillar about? You can recount the story to them about how this happened and how they were grown we need those same marks in our life this is the day I got saved this is the day that God showed me that he, his power by doing this this is what, when I when I saw his spirit do this it, we need those because I can guarantee you, every one of us have probably been at some point in our life at a time when we say wow God do I really know you because we don't live by the truth we live by feelings so often we let our feelings drive what we think Jesus said the truth will set you free and that means that we are to believe the truth it happens for many of us when we're married with our spouse and we go through that period of dry time and going and we're looking at our spouse saying who why am I living with this person and why are we together and I can guarantee every you, of you most been married longer if you know what that where that point is where your feelings are saying I don't even like this person anymore And the truth of God says stay together and then in another couple years you're back to where you're feeling love and excitement and you know that you love that person still and you're thankful that you didn't give in to your feelings you know we often do this we often do this with our feelings how many of you have ever been mad enough that you would if you didn't have to worry about it you would have killed somebody you know i know i've been there now my common sense says don't do it (laughs) And my, the truth beat the law you know beat down but how many times do we not listen to the truth and we follow our feelings but god says that he is the one that will rise us up he is the one that has given us this the second half of verse 20 in ephesians 1 says and set him at his right hand in heavenly places that little phrase has so much in it jesus is sitting in heaven at the right hand of the Father number one when do you sit if you work if you're a hard worker now most many of us don't work that way anymore but in the old days when you had to work on a farm or a factory you know or you were doing a job you didn't sit until the job was done so this verse is saying Jesus finished the work this is powerful he finished the work of our redemption and he's sitting beside the father what side of the father the right hand side of the father in the Bible when it says right hand they're talking about the side of approval we still have that term in our in our mentality this is the right, my right hand person I trust this person if they say something you might as well be listening to me because I'm putting that much authority in there in them I trust them uh, when they I know they're gonna do it right I know they're gonna speak it right this is I couldn't do without this person you know and left hand always had that idea of well this is a I'm not so sure about the <laughs> not so sure about this person and they're okay Jesus said in Revelation he says that the sheep will go on his right side and the goats will go on the left side to destruction disapproved or approved Jesus is sitting he finished the work he went to the cross the father resurrected him. he finished the work he came for him so that we could be his children. And now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Very powerful thought on this. And then the last point to bring out today, in verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and has put all things under his feet. Jesus sits above everything for a short time God humbled himself and put himself under all those things came as a man under the subjection of angels under the subjection of a father under the subjection of a government all these things that he put himself under for a short time. Now, 33 34 years somewhere in that ballpark I think it's 34 most people say 33 but for a short period of time he put himself in subjection submitted now that word is hated by most people but submitted it just means that he put himself under their authority it has no position when Jesus could be submitted that means that you know he had every right to say hey I'm God I can do what I want Uh, Mom and Dad, I'm I'm more important than you. I'm God. But yet he submitted himself to Mary and Joseph. He submitted himself to the government. He paid his taxes. He he did all the things he was supposed to do. He was the submitted man. As an example to us, and someday we'll get a whole lesson on submission, but submission is a very valuable and very worthwhile place to be. It's a very protected place to be. And we're all under submission to somebody matter of fact we're told to be submitted one to another you now we're not all supposed to be the boss and push everybody around and and you know some of some of us have more trouble with that than others <laughs> but uh, we're, we're to be submitted to one another and then we're to be submitted to our various positions that God has given us given us to be under but God after all that went through he resurrected Him, took him to heaven and he sits above above all things you know the great news we're the bride of Christ once we get to heaven and all things are over we will sit next to him above all things with him and the Father above all the angels above anything else that's created the power that he's got for us under the right order now we will still be in heaven submitted to Jesus who is submitted to the Father but we will be above all the other principalities and powers. That's our, that's our heritage bought to us by the great and exceeding power of God through Jesus. Great position of authority for eternity. And you go, well, what's left? Once all the people are gone, what's left? Well, we've got the angels. We've got whatever the new heaven and earth is created. Whatever's out there will be over. I have no idea what all will be out there. <laughs> I, I've already told you, I have very little imagination. I just take what the word says and, and go with it. I'll let you with imaginations go and paint the pictures and, and add, add all the stuff. But there's a danger in that, too. <laughs> but we are going to be ruling with him. And the last part of that verse says, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. We are the church, we are the fullness of his body. And fullness here means literally overflowing full. He didn't just say I filled it to the top. This this Greek word literally means that he still keeps pouring it in as it's flowing over the top. You see how precious we are to God? We're the fullness of his body so much so that he wants to see us splashing out all over everything that we come in contact with. When we are ministering to people, we're splashing God all over the place. He didn't just fill us to the top and put a lid on us, and He didn't say, "Okay, here's your travel lid. Now go travel so you don't spill anything." He filled it up so that we will be able to splash over everybody you know we come in contact with. Here's a little bit of God splashing on them. Have you ever had somebody get mad because you're present? You didn't even say anything and and then and I'm not saying that you were even being bad or mean at that time you were just you brought God into the middle of that situation especially if they were doing bad to begin with and all of a sudden they're mad at you because you showed up and you didn't even say what you're doing is bad you brought the very presence of God into their situation and God splashing out all over them convicting them of what they're doing wrong and I've shared with you I've had many I ran many restaurants in my lifetime and I never had to tell people don't swear don't cuss don't use God's name in vain they knew I was a Christian and God convicted them and it was amazing it's amazing we as Christians can come in and just by walking into a situation convict people and we don't even look at them bad we don't look at them mean we don't look at them we just we're loving we're loving we're kind and we bring God in the middle of a situation and they're going, "Ooh, get away from me, I don't want God here. You know, when you're doing something wrong, the last thing you want is God, isn't it? If you're living in a sin, you don't want to read your Bible. When you're living in a sin, you don't want to go to church. You don't want to be around God's people. And the reason being is you get convicted. And you're going, oh, oh gee, you know, this person's making me want to con- you know, confess. They're making me wanna go to God. Now at the right time, it's like, oh, praise God, you're here and and you get into it. Mm -hmm. But when you're not ready for that, it's like, oh, get away from me. I don't wanna, (coughs) I don't want God. (laughs) I wanna wallow around in this mud for a little longer and, and feel sorry for myself. I don't want God telling me I'm forgiven. I see the smiles on everybody's face. I've been there myself. You know, when you just wallow around in your sin, saying, God, I just, you know, I really hate this, but I don't hate it. I want to just wallow around in it. I don't want you, God. Go away for a while. And God's saying, come on back. You're forgiven. You go, God, go away. I just... (laughs) The power of God, he's forgiven and will forgive and will draw us back. And the challenge is, if you walk away from God, come back. You're going to be loved by God. And you're going to be loved by God's people who truly are acting the way He does. Will you be loved by everybody? Well, if you're looking for everybody to love you or like you, forget it. Stay in your room and lock your door and hide because you're never going to be there. You're never going to have a place where everybody likes you. And everybody loves you. It's just never going to happen. And I don't care how good you are. Jesus had lots of people who didn't like Him, they hung Him on a cross. You can't get any better than Jesus was. And he wasn't liked by everybody. As a matter of fact, by the majority, it seemed that he was disliked by And you couldn't get any better than him. You couldn't get any more perfect and loving than him. And he told us flat out that they hated me, they're gonna hate you. So we shouldn't be surprised when people dislike us, come against us, say terrible things. Maybe in the very near future, do physical damage to us. It's coming, it's coming. Physical pain, they went through it in the New Testament, and through the last 1900 years or 2000 years, it's been times when physical pain has been part of being a Christian. God didn't say we weren't going to have pain. He said he was going to give us the strength to go through it. And as I've shared, I love the disciples' answers. Thank God he found me worthy of suffering for him. We need to get that mentality in our mind because it's coming. If we suffer for him, we need to say, it's not thank God for the suffering, because if, the, if you are thanking God for the suffering, there's something mentally wrong with you in the first place. <laughs> but thank God he made, found me worthy to suffer for him. There's a big difference between those two statements. But that's where we need to be. God, thank you that I'm worthy. I'm worthy to go through whatever it is you want me to go through. And some people go through a lot. Some people don't. And I'm not going to say one's worthy and one's not. I'm not going to go there. But those who are going through it, God has said, you definitely are worthy. I'm going to use that testimony. We still use the testimony of all the disciples. We use the testimony of Esther for her life as she goes into the king to save her people. We use the testimony of Joseph sold into slavery for 13 years for no reason. And then when he thought things might be OK, he gets thrown into prison for falsely accused of rape. How would you like to have been Joseph? God, I was really following you, and you know, here I am a slave. You know, OK, God, you've finally been blessing me. I'm, I'm, I'm master of this house. Now, I'm in, the next day, I'm in jail. <laughs> you know, falsely accused, and I'm in jail. He hadn't, we know the end of the story. We know he gets resu- you know, resurrected out of jail and made second in command, but he didn't know that. As far as he knew, the charge for rape in that country was still the same as it is in many countries death. He had a death sentence hanging over him every day. Any day they could have pulled him out of the jail and said, okay, now we're executing you. And he's following God, staying faithful to God. And then he sees the blessing there's always a blessing even if it's going to be only in heaven there's going to be a blessing for all the stuff that we go through and we want to be aware of that usually we get to have the blessing on earth as well usually but not always but I want to encourage us are we ready to face God are we ready to look for God his power his work and I want you to notice I want you to reread those later on read those verses and see how many times it says his not me (laughs) not look what I've done God. uh, I've opened my eyes I now understand I I see clearly Uh, I deserve this I deserve that matter of fact as I've told many people over the time if you start hearing yourself saying I a lot look at your motives look at your motives well when I hear somebody give a testimony it's I I I I I I start looking and going "Uh, I don't think much of that testimony know you you're giving the credit to the wrong place the wrong person's getting getting blessed on this or being being done where is God in this testimony where is God so start listening to yourself and saying how much do you use the word I look what I have done look at all that I have accomplished look out God doesn't like the word I he doesn't like us taking credit for it he likes to crush that and then we look back and say oh I, I don't have much there anymore when we stand at the bema seat, all that's going to be, all that we've ever done will be thrown into the fire, will be burnt up. And I heard a pastor and I loved it. He goes, God's not looking to destroy everything. He's looking for the good that's going to be left. Because he wants to know what he's done in your life. What has been him working in your life? If it's the flesh, it'll burn up. And I've shared with other pastors, I'm going, it's scary how many, especially of us pastors, will have so much of what we've done burnt up because it's us us doing what we know that we need to do maybe maybe doing what we are paid to do (laughs) but how often is it that we do things in the flesh maybe great things you know you help counsel somebody got them got them to not kill themselves got them to to not committed you know uh, not to get a a divorce or or even to serve god in a better way but it was you using your own strength burnt up (laughs) the flesh burnt up good for the person who got it but burnt up we need to be looking at what God wants us to do we're letting him lead let him work we're going to close in prayer Lord, we just thank you for your exceedingly great power that you did toward us all the wonderful things that you've done for us all the greatness that you've shown us the fact that Jesus died to pay for our sins Lord Lord we just thank you for that we all are sinners. We all need you. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, and, and will, they will be convicted of their sin, that they deserve punishment, and they will accept you as their Lord and Savior. And just say a very simple prayer. Lord, I know that I've sinned. I deserve the punishment. I believe that you died for my sins. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and make me a new creation. And Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.